Hi, I'm David Freudberg. We here at Humankind are trying to strike a balance to make our public radio programs available to you and also to make sure we're able to pay our production costs from office rent to staff time to studio and distribution expenses. The grants we receive from funders you hear named on our programs don't fully cover our operating costs. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep our program and this podcast going. Please visit humanmedia.org and at the top of our homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. If someone was in a car accident outside the window and you saw a lot of blood, you would run out there to help them. You would run out there to stop the bleeding in any way you can. The kind of emotional issues that we're seeing with kids, the kind of stress that we're seeing, is not visible, but they're bleeding. The time-pressured, nerve-wracking race to get into college and what some high schools are doing to reduce the stress. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Public schools increasingly feel the strain. Federal education policies and concerns about preparing youth for the job market have turned up the heat on schools. Nowhere is this starker than in the upsurge in standardized testing as a way to impose accountability and measure whether students are really being educated. But these exams have become controversial. Some teachers and students have begun to opt out saying all that testing actually interferes with genuine learning. Still, if schools report weak test results, there are consequences. Oftentimes, your school will get um, reprimanded, money will be taken away, teachers will be publicly shamed, real estate um, prices might go down if these are published scores in the newspaper, if they're connected. Um, So the stakes are high, and the kids know this. Denise Pope follows secondary school trends at the Stanford University Graduate School of Education. Among schools she's looked at are high-achieving ones where most students go on to college. And it's at these schools that a growing number of kids are buckling under the intense pressure to succeed. In San Francisco's Sunset District, Kenny Okagaki attends Lowell High School, the city's most academically advanced public school. In terms of stress, I feel that it manifests itself into this struggle to find a balance in our everyday lives, as in balancing these academic pressures with our personal stressors, with our, uh, with our need for entertainment, our need for leisure. You know, uh, there's this emergence of this dynamic where, uh, like, the professional life of the four university grad school to a nine-to-five well-paid job is the ideal or the American dream, so to speak, and that... Every year, every generation, it's getting harder and harder to get into college and harder and harder to find a job. There are more kids than ever going to colleges these days. That's a great thing. We, we want to see that. Stanford's Denise Pope. What that does is it creates a system where 
there's an impression that there's no such thing as a safety school, that, that if I don't get the top grades and the top test scores and do X, Y, Z, I'm not going to get into the selective schools. And it's not like those schools have increased their student body and their freshman class size all that much. Some have, uh, but most of them, you're still at, you know, Stanford's still at about 1,600, and that hasn't changed in many, many years, and yet the number of kids applying to Stanford has gone up astronomically. Denise Pope points out that with the growth of community colleges and technical schools, American higher education can largely accommodate the increasing population of students. But the quest to be admitted to the most prestigious schools has generated increasingly keen competition, and that drives kids harder in their high school years. I believe it comes from uh, the dynamic of the importance of a four-year university education that so many kids at Lowell and in San Francisco, of the kids I know, are doing all these internships and programs and uh, you know, they're doing all these clubs and sometimes even they do sports, not for their own uh, intrinsic desires, but for their desire to get into a four-year university, that they feel that they need to have this extracurricular pop in order to be noticed by the college of their dreams. So, I mean, and of that, course... that's an acute awareness? Yeah, every, everybody knows that, you know, you have to have the grades, you have to have the test scores, and you have to have the extracurriculars. And although not, every, not everybody does it, in this light, uh, a vast majority of kids uh, do partake in extracurricular activities in order to get into college. And frenetic activity around school is not the only source of tension for high school students. Kevin Gogan manages health programs for the San Francisco Public Schools. We're in a school district in an urban area, and our students come to us uh, with issues of poverty and hunger and family dysfunction and community violence and trauma. So you add all that in to the basic development of a young person, and that's adding a stressor. And then they come to us, and we have a different set of expectations that we place on them, uh, including sitting in straight roads, being on time, following a bell schedule, um, being successful academically and socially. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's a, it becomes a hot mess because we have a series of expectations and it's obviously for a goal to help our students be successful in the world, but they're coming from a world um, and they bring all that with them. You know, there's students that parents have been laid off from their jobs, students that have lost their homes because of what's happening with the financial crisis. Adi Horn develops peer programs where students support each other at Lowell High. So that is affecting our students. I've had students come in and say, I'm really worried about my friend. Can you please talk to them? Something's going on. I don't know what's happening. And when I talked to the friend, they said, my family's about to be evicted because we can't pay the rent. Hugely stressful, you know, if the, if the families have lost jobs. Um, we live in one of the you know, most expensive cities in the country. The housing market has been squished. So that, I mean, if families are being evicted now to make room for high, people that can afford to pay higher rent. That all sits on the kids' shoulders. So does that turn into heightened academic pressure on the students? It's hard to focus on your studies if you're worried about where your family is going to live, if you're worried about 
are your parents going to be able to feed you? I think, too, you have to think about the cost of what it takes to get into a college. Carol Chow-Herring is a social worker who leads the Lowell High School Wellness Center, where students can stop in to talk about problems. I grew up in Connecticut, which has one of the best school systems in the country. But, um, you know, we had a really strong system. I was in a very small school lots of resources, and my family still had to pay for SAT prep courses, a college advisor, um, tutoring, uh, extracurricular activities, dance classes, music lessons, you know, in order to have the kind of resume that you need to get into uh, the college that my parents wanted me to go to. So if you couple that sort of extra expectation for what students should be accomplishing with the financial burden, it becomes very challenging. And then the students who are do not have access to that have to make that up on their own. By many measures, it's challenging to be young now in America. Adult unemployment is highest among the nation's youngest workers. Thus, many high school students are feeling the pinch and feeling frazzled, and some react in predictable ways. When you're stressed, you cheat more. Denise Pope at Stanford has tracked the effects of school pressures on students. Our cheating numbers are unbelievable. We have 90% of the kids in our study at the secondary level admitting to cheating at least once during the year. And is that higher than it was in the past? It's absolutely higher than it was in the past. Um, And several other professors have have shown that as well, that the cheating is on the increase. Why? Because you're tired, you're exhausted, there's high stakes. And it's not that they don't think it's wrong. They know it's wrong, but they feel they don't have a choice. Are people medicating these problems? Yes. So there's a group of drugs called study drugs, colloquially. I just have to emote how horrible that sounds. It's horrible. So stimulants. Um, Caffeine is legal. But now you have it in very, very high doses in Red Bull and and, uh, other concoctions, Monster Mash or whatever it's called. And the CDC is actually putting some of these on the poison list because in young children and and teenagers who are not fully formed yet, high, high doses of caffeine, even though these are legal, um, can impact the neurological system. It can impact the, um, you know, rate of heart attacks. We're also seeing illegal use of stimulants. So, and I see this regularly as I visit schools. A kid is uh, diagnosed with ADD or ADHD and prescribed a stimulant like Adderall or Ritalin. Someone who is not diagnosed knows that that kid has access to those pills. So they say, Jane, I have AP US history next period. Can you pass me an Addy? And Jane reaches into her bag and gives this kid a pill. And that kid is able to stay up and focus, or so she thinks. It's like kind of a miracle, they think. What they're not realizing is what it's doing to their system, especially over time. And depression? We have not seen numbers like this ever before. And part of that, I thought, and many scientists thought, was better diagnosis. And I think it is. There are part of this that we are noticing now that you can be depressed at even younger ages, and we're better at um, seeing that and, and, and intervening. However, it's not, it can't all be due to better detection. There's absolutely a link between sleep deprivation and depression. 
um, which may explain the high rates of depression that we're seeing because we haven't seen sleep um, deprivation rates this high before. Um, connections to anxiety, um, perfectionism, eating disorders, suicide ideation, they're all up. Aggravating these conditions is the relentless rhythm that propels many students through their pre-college years. This is typified and powered by instant communications, as young people can seem to be texting and calling everyone continuously. But the heavy academic load at school, especially for students taking advanced placement or AP courses, plus all the extracurricular activities, conspire to fill their schedules to the point of saturation or beyond. Sitting with Kenny Okagaki, the student we heard earlier, was Elizard Chertow, who also had a very full junior year at Lowell High in San Francisco. I'll come into school, have some of my classes. I'm in two APs, um, AP uh, U.S. History and AP English, which are a lot of a lot of work. Um, but a day that would pretty much make me stressed, I don't know, you know, it seems like every day I have a big test or a paper due or something or a track meet. It's like every day there's a big event going on. So you know, once in a while, maybe once every month, it'll all, like, come together and be one terrible day <laughs> when everything is going on in one day and I'll have no sleep or anything. Then we come home, get home about 6.30 after track practice, then, oh, my God, we have all these, we have all these projects, we have all these homework assignments, right? And then once you get finished with that, that might be two hours on a given night. Then you have to think, okay, I could either, I could either chill and watch TV or kind of relax or, oh man, what about that SAT in two weeks or what about those AP tests next month? So it's just this constant bombardment of both academic pressures and also not to mention social pressures if you're experiencing a rough time with friends or with uh, romantic interest or if you're having trouble at home. It really leaves no room for error. There, there are all these confounding elements in a day that can go wrong and create stress. And it only takes a couple to totally send you out of whack. And I think that's the problem that almost every high schooler in America is experiencing right now. I definitely noticed that there is an increase in self-referrals or drop-ins um, right before tests, large test times. So finals, spring break, things like that. Carol Chow Herring of the Lowell High School Wellness Center. And I think it's because... Students who are very competent and capable have been figuring out ways to cope and manage for their entire life. When you ratchet up stress and you have a a more intense, more stressful time where many things are due, they're juggling a lot of things, then the things that they've been managing and coping with on their own come to the surface. And then that's when they usually feel ready to have somebody intervene or feel ready to talk to somebody. Um, One of the things that I would love to see is that I'd love for there to be more of a culture of asking for help, of reaching out, of getting support, because I think, you know, everyone needs support. Adults, teens, children, you know, humans are connected through um, community, right? And I think that... You could almost say humans are connected through our need for support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been a lot of research that's come out recently on vulnerability, communication, connectivity, and how we're social animals. You know, we couldn't have fought the lions off by ourselves. We had to bond together. (laughs) And I think sometimes what ends up happening is when you are competing against your peers for very small slots, um, that sense of community can disappear if it's not cultivated. And especially um, if 
you know, people are told they can do everything by themselves, that sense of community can disappear. And so we really try to cultivate is that sense of community, that sense that you belong, that everyone needs support, and that life is stressful, life is messy. Being a teenager is hard, um, but we're all in this together, and we all work together, and we all support each other. We're exploring causes and consequences of the high-stress environment that many high school students must navigate in their quest for college admission. And in a moment, we'll examine some solutions to this widespread challenge. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, High School Pressure Cooker, please visit humanmedia.org. The current regimen of high-stakes standardized testing began with the federal No Child Left Behind Act passed in 2001. Its aim in part was to bolster proficiency in reading and math skills and to set testable benchmarks for how well schools are doing. Stanford University education researcher Denise Pope. There are teachers who aren't doing their jobs. There are schools that are not doing their jobs. Um, so I'm not anti-accountability. I'm just saying the way we're going about it has raised um, a lot of problems. Stress and inaccuracy and pressure and um, art and music are cut from schools because there's, they're not on the test. And is that because they're hard to test? And because someone decided that it's much more important for us to focus solely on, you know, measuring reading and measuring math in the early years. Um, and so what happens is you have a bunch of elementary schools now with no art or music program, often no science program. And so the things that make us human, right, the study of the humanities, the study of the arts, aesthetics, um, are not being taught to a whole generation of kids. And a growing group of educators and students like Kenny Okagaki at Lowell High in San Francisco feel the current testing system and very high emphasis on grade point averages or GPAs has unintended consequences and can yield results that are too narrow and too rigid. It creates this uh, objective ranking, so to speak, of every, every high school in America where uh, you, know, you either fall in the threshold of competent or above average or below average and this, this characterization of a student it really creates a lot of stress because, uh, I mean, there's, you know, the controversies where uh, teachers were giving their students the answers so they wouldn't get fired or uh, where teachers, instead of teaching for knowledge, they teach for the test. That's a very, very popular term, teach for the test. And, and do uh, you see that? I totally see that, especially in my AP classes. The APs were once uh, an opportunity for a student to uh, delve deep into a subject that he's really, really passionate about, but now it's almost a standard if you want to be in that top percent of students. How, uh, it's really, especially at Lowell and other, other schools, it's become a standard for the high-achieving student. And then it creates a lot of pressure. We understand that there's more to life than GPA or, uh, or test scores, and you're not measuring success at the end of a semester, we're measuring success over the course of a lifetime. Is this person healthy physically and mentally? 
Can this person think outside the box? Can he or she communicate well? Do they have a code of ethics and values that they follow? Are they kind? Are they resilient? Can they bounce back? Can they think critically about things? You can have a very high GPA and not be able to do many of those things. So no, I don't think that they are are accurate in terms of measuring success. And even in terms of measuring academic success, they're very limited. You can, uh, I had a representative from Shanghai tell me, our kids do really well on these multiple choice exams. They know how to fill in those bubbles. They are great test takers. But if you show them a complex problem that does not have a right or wrong answer, they will not know how to solve it. We haven't talked much about the teachers who also must operate in this environment. How are they reacting to these conditions? Well, they, they joke with me too because they're stressed out teachers, right? They know that their kids are stressed out, but they are also stressed out. There's an enormous pressure on the teachers from the high stakes testing, right? Especially in places like Los Angeles where your test scores are being published publicly. So you've got public embarrassment and sanctions against your school uh, in the form of money. So there's an enormous amount of pressure to cover content for the tests that's pressure to give more homework, that's pressure to um, do more test prep, things that they know are developmentally not even appropriate. And that causes them to do things like push reading on a kid who's not ready to read yet developmentally. Uh, And you can have negative effects that way. You could actually turn off a reader. Denise Pope has been monitoring for years the conditions that can overstress students. In 2007, she and colleagues at Stanford founded Challenge Success. It's a nationwide initiative seeking to chart what it calls a healthier and more effective path to success in the 21st century. The way it has to happen is a systemic approach. The students, the parents, and the schools have to be on board, have to be educated, have to work together to make changes in policy and practice at school and at home to make a difference for that kid. And I have three kids, and I try very hard to make it work in my own house. And it's not perfect, but there are certain things you know need to happen. There are certain developmental needs of kids that have not changed over all these years. They need sleep. They need exercise. They need food. They need breaks. Um, So what does that mean for a school day? Well, we work with schools to not have this seven-period, 42-minute race in between every class to your lockers, deal with your adolescent angst and your friends and your pimples and all that, you know, seven times a day. That is not set up for optimal learning, period. And it's certainly not how it works in the real world. You don't sit in a little box and think about English and then sit in a little box and think about math. You work on integrated real-life problems. So Challenge Success is working with schools to redesign the daily schedule in ways Denise Pope believes better suit the natural rhythms of young people. She seeks to completely revamp the breakneck pace of schools where many kids are rushed through lunch and in some cases have no lunch break at all. They absolutely need to have lunch, they need downtime, they need longer periods to to do more in-depth learning and reflect on the learning. And that means that you'll have fewer classes that meet each day. Um, You may have the same amount of hours, by the way, throughout the week, but it's just organized differently. So you'll have some longer periods. 
So give an example of what a healthier school day might look like. So most of the ones that we are working with, we're helping them move to what's called a modified block or a full block schedule. And that means you might have three um, 70-minute classes a day. You might have one or two shorter classes, lunch, recess, tutorial time. You might meet, you might have a time devoted at your school where every teacher is in his or her room and kids can come to them with questions or problems. You might have an advisory period. We, there's been a lot of research done around one teacher with a small group of kids who stays with them for over the years, who really gets to know them and kind of helps serve as their advocate, helps them with their schedule, maybe writes their letter for college admission. As educators and parents reimagine what school could be like, they are sometimes able to step back to ponder the true purpose of learning and the personal characteristics and qualities that meaningful education should equip students with. You want to make sure that when your kids are getting out of, uh, you know, of school, they know how to hold a conversation. They know how to self-regulate. They have a sense of caring for one another, caring for themselves, being a part of a community, um, collaborating. And it used to be that that wasn't the purview of schools at all. But they're finding that you don't learn if you don't feel like you're cared for and you belong in, in the community. You don't feel engaged. Right. And that's key. So the other piece of that, along with looking at policies around scheduling and homework and APs and lunchtime and advisories, is we really look at the teaching and learning going on in the classroom. We want less memorize, spit back, take the standardized approach. We want much more project-based learning, authentic assessment. Are they, are they writing essays? Are they writing blogs? Are they creating projects um, that are really causing them to think critically and creatively? Um, it looks a lot more like real life and the kind of work that goes on in the real world where you get to iterate and you have feedback from others and then you iterate and revise again. How about self-care practices for the young people themselves? Good. We talk about those changes at home and at school as long-term changes, as trying to get at the root causes as preventative, but there are many positive coping strategies that we advocate as well. Um, there have been some wonderful research on breathing, meditation, yoga, exercise, art therapy, a whole bunch of different things that kids can learn to do. You can actually train them to do. Um, it doesn't have to take a long time. There, there have been some wonderful interventions and some good research around just taking 10 or 15 minutes of breathing each day. And what does that do for your mood? You learn actually how to be mindful and to listen to your breathing, taking the time, learning how to focus, learning how to breathe, learning how to stretch, learning how to be quiet, really can make a difference in terms of stress level. It can make a difference in terms of academics. So even just doing um, some physical exercise before you take a test, you're going to do better on the test. The, the, the odds are you're going to do better on a test. Kids who walk to school as opposed to kids who are driven to school actually perform better in the morning classes. Why is that, do you think? You're getting your body ready to learn. You're getting your mind awakened. I mean, you look a bunch of 16-year-olds first period, you're not going to see very awake kids because of the rhythm and when the, the starts happen in schools. But if you get them going with either some breathing or some exercise techniques, uh, you're going to wake them up. How significant is 
the teaching of self-care skills in solving this problem? In a world that's continuously going to get more stressful, you need to learn how to do this on your own. So instead of the negative coping strategies that we see here with college kids across the country, they're drinking to forget their stress, they're shopping, they are having sex, they're, they're doing things to get out of their stressful mind and bodies and lives. We want them to take those negative coping strategies and turn them to positive coping strategies. And if you have that in your repertoire, you are absolutely going to be better off than the kid who doesn't. Denise Pope, senior lecturer at the Stanford University School of Education in Palo Alto, California, and co-founder of Challenge Success. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg, studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose, editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham, webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions, program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, High School Pressure Cooker, is Humankind Program number 194. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.